0: You know
1: what? Callers take the show down the path of whatever's on their mind. So the host always has plenty to talk about, but welcome to talk about that. And the abortion issue we really were talking about, that Governor Cooper has, you know, he's had a, a horrific... A a truly unremarkable time as governor. The Republicans have been in control of the House and Senate the whole time. Rather unremarkable. The the, the celebration that he had was Medicaid expansion, putting 600,000 more North Carolinians under some form of government dependency. By the way, none of those welfare era programs have solved the problem they aimed to be a cure for. They haven't. We we we're now trillions in debt. We're hitting. You know, we're we're up against a debt ceiling crisis, and yet, yet the left. And it, it is political. I love someone try to say it's not. Oh, let's not be political. You have to be. Policies have consequences. Policies enacted by one side or the other have consequences. Doesn't mean that 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 one side is always altruistic or correct, but in general. The permissive nature of the left is that they can just fund everything. We can just we can do everything. And what I was going to say, as we were going through that hour, was that liberalism ultimately those policies fail over time because it's based on zero personal responsibility. It they, those policies are devoid of political responsibility because it's based on the assignation of blame of someone else reparations blame someone else the lgbtq it's blame someone else it's blame all the policies even the abortion issue it's blaming blaming the republicans it's a bigger it's much bigger issue than just an abortion as as all the caller said the young lady right before the end of the break was talking about her child They, they, they were diagnosed or thought they were with down syndrome the child was born without down syndrome they were told to get an abortion they didn't get an abortion now i'm not and And part of this is the discussion about the value of life. and And the Governor now, now that it he's got years of lockdowns which have really done they've forget the word really, they have done an unbelievable amount of harm to our kids. I said on a charter school board, when you take when you put masks, when you masked all these people and these kids, their language skills at kindergarten first and second grade are horrific. They don't just bounce back after that. Kids are, are remarkable at bouncing back, but but when you lose one or two years of learning, you lose that it takes you years to catch up because building is just like a building. You have to have the foundation to go to the next level to go to the next level. And it takes time to get that. And this governor, this governor has done more to damage education than any governor in our lifetimes. There's no the there's no other way. The news can say what they want to, but he hasn't. He may have funded things which was just more taxpayer money, that this governor's entire political career has been about just taking money and throwing it at something and thinking that fixes the problem. And so now he has one issue, the abortion issue, which I do say a caller said, hey, Republicans did pay a price and they do pay a price by wedding themselves abortion. Does it make the fight worth having for those who value life? Yes, it does. There isn't there isn't a no consequence way of being. Much as you know, some kind of hedonistic perspective would like to take you there. There isn't. There's no free lunch. Now, we can talk about, and we will, the immigration issue. And if you look at that, you think about the countries. Now, we're getting. We've had people picked up from about 130, 128 countries coming across our southern border. Now we've got people coming across the northern border from other countries, including Mexico. But think about the number of countries they have to go through. Many that go from Central and South America to go through Panama, to go through Costa Rica, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Belize, Mexico, all of these countries. Why did they stop along the way? Costa Rica has a, a constitutional republic, much like our own. Costa Rica has kind of a socialized healthcare system. You would think that's the desire and envy of most liberals in this country. But they kept going. They go. They go from, you know, Panama, Costa Rica. They go on through. They go to Guatemala, Honduras. El Salvador, they, Nicaragua, they go to these other countries, keep going. And it's because there's so much that we give away that, one, there's an opportunity. Great. There are people that come here for that reason. Two, there's a massive drug trade. and A lot of people are getting across the border because that drug trade is an economy in and of itself. It's a massive part of our economy. Three, because there's a lot to give away here. The policies of the left have made uh, nutritional stuff, have made access to school, have made access to healthcare, made access to all of the – it is it is a beacon. It's not a beacon because people want to work harder. It is for many, but it's not for a, a large preponderance of these because they can get set up here. There's no – and the left is not unified in trying to stop this in any way. In fact, they're encouraging it. They don't. They don't. They don't. It's funny. We, you would think that we would be united in this kind of stuff. It's been a kind of shocking that we're not remotely united on this kind of stuff. You you want a society devoid of kind of personal responsibility? Just come across the border. There's, you don't have to have any responsibility. We'll take care of you. Take care of your family. That's the message that's there. That's the message. That's the. It's not the message necessarily of hope. And you can work because you can work in other countries. Panama's got a great economy. Costa Rica's got a great economy. Mexico, there are parts of Mexico that have decent economies. But there's a lot of corruption in Mexico. The drug trade, and, and the, we've lost operational control of a lot of our southern border. And it's the permissive attitude of the political left that doesn't want to deal with this. They don't want to admit there's a border crisis because the word crisis has so many negative connotations. You put Kamala Harris in charge of the southern border, and that hasn't helped. You've said you're going to get to the root causes of it. Well, the root causes of it are lot because we invite them here. We've given them an incentive to come. We didn't disincentivize it. We didn't stop it and say, don't come. You're not going to get anything, and we're going to send you right back. If you say there's only one path to get in this country, and it's a legal path, and everything else will be treated as a hostile act, that's a disincentive. But this, But on issue after issue, that's where we find ourselves. And both parties, by the way, own this multi-trillion dollar absurd national debt and the debt ceiling crisis, and both sides own it. The the only distinction between Republicans and Democrats on on that national issue is that the Republicans spend a little less. Or, excuse me, a little less quickly. The Democrats tend to just go on. And again, people love I hear it in the news all the time, like drunken sailors. No, drunken sailors spend their own money. They don't spend your money. They spend their money. These people are like drunken sailors that are spending other people's money. Like we're being robbed and fleeced for because they don't want to be responsible. And it's easy. If I'm an elected official, and having been one, I've seen this at the local level, it's easy for a county commissioner or state representative to go and hand a check out to someone and say, look what we did for you. Well, it's easy to do that when you're using other people's money, isn't it? There's no, There's no skin in the game for you as a politician. Just to promise everybody everything. I'll be glad to take care of you. You can have everything you want. I'll give you, I'll give you food, I'll give you shelter, I'll give you everything. Everything you want. That's and that's the problem, is that these policies come home to roost. They haven't solved. I don't know what point we wake up and say, over 50 years, did we solve the war on poverty? Did you stop it? No. Did you stop any of the things? Did Roe v. Wade bring did did Roe v. Wade, when it was in place, did it diminish the number of abortions? No. It opened Pandora's box. It devalued life. It devalued and, and 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 I don't think our society for those policies that were all enacted over that time, from great society through abortion, all these permissive things. was was the country really better off in any substantive way with all those? I mean, look at California, look at the look at our urban centers. Chicago, Detroit, New York, Portland, Seattle, LA, San Francisco, San Diego. These large metro areas run by these policies, and and, and and assisted by federal policies that were also bad, have become hell on earth. These aren't better places to be. You're not safer there. The quality of life isn't better. It's not. It did it, it, it. You know, and that's that's the other problem with progressive left ideology, is it? It it takes something and they sell it to you as utopia, and it becomes. Blade Runner becomes every bad sci-fi movie you've ever seen. It becomes Brave New World. It becomes 1984. It becomes Atlas Shrugged. It becomes every Nightmare Gattaca. It becomes all of them rolled up into one animal farm. It becomes all of them. It becomes all of them at once.
0: Radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Now, with us right now, we do. I, you know, I, we've been talking about so many different
1: issues, but uh, we we touched on the immigration one. Linda, you've been on hold. Welcome to the broadcast. How the heck are you today?
2: Thank you. So, uh, Thank my you. comment was, I just wanted to make it known that when my grandfather came to this country years and years ago, he had to wait in Argentina for two years and because he had to have a sponsor and a job waiting for him before he could come in to the country and he came in by ellis island also i wanted to say it feels like biden can be charged with treason for allowing all of these immigrants to come into our country without any kind of um checking on them so that they're not people that are like the jihad people that hate Americans and that kind of thing. So
1: that's my comment. Well, Linda, I appreciate that. And, you know, to your point, the Ellis Island entry point, that that's the beacon of hope. Those people who wanted to come here, they wanted to adhere to the process by which you get transitioned into the country. It is, in the same way at the southern border, no matter where you come from, America is still a place more people want to go to than escape from. And and there's there's something there's something magical about that. I, that sounds like narcissism, but it, it's a unique country. It's a unique, you know. When you see a U.S. Olympic team, you almost never know what they're going to look like. You don't because they come from every country on the planet. When you see uh, certain countries, you know kind of what the composition of that those athletes are, are going to look like. And if you watch any you know kind of reality shows that make you feel much better about your position in life especially these people that marry folks overseas, you see how difficult it is to get into other countries, how how tight the immigration policies are. You can't get in unless you have one year's worth of, of income to sustain yourself. Many European countries are like that. Or if you go to India, you have very temporary visas that get you in into India. And many South American countries, you can't just stay there in perpetuity. So for us to act like You know we can't do this, we can, and there are honorable, great, wonderful ways. And the people who do come here and want to become citizens, those are the ones that are most likely to be most livid about what's going on. All these other people trying to move to the front of the line with no plausible way to support themselves. They just want to take advantage of the system. And it creates this us versus them mentality. And then you have people say, oh, immigration makes this country great. No doubt. Legal immigration makes this country great. Illegal immigration, not so much. So it is a a truth. We are this phenomenal nation of folks from all over the world that have the unique, I mean, and, and genetically you could say we're genetically predisposed to be capitalist. Because so many, so many hundreds of thousands of people gave up everything they had to come here to pursue something. To create something that hadn't been created before, to provide something that hadn't been provided before, or to create a service in a way that hadn't been done before—the most unique, inspired uh, folks at the genetic level. Those who were mo- the biggest risk takers on the planet migrated here. Huge risk, uprooting their families, their life, fortune, everything. Risk takers. So you add a you know hundred plus years of risk takers into the mix here at the genetic level. It's you've got risk takers meeting risk takers and making. Risk-taking babies and making people that then that's why we are so creative at the at the at the gut check level, and so now and unfortunately we're attracting folks who don't have that mentality. That it's just what can we give them? What can they take? And and this administration and, and she said treason. You know what treasons become such a something we just kind of toss around now. I mean after some of the faux impeachments we had. With the previous president, where you know the, this this congressman from California said he, oh, I've got an unbelievable amount of evidence on this collusion stuff. There was nothing there, and, and we and we impeach something, something for nothing. And so we thrown that around, and so the idea that I mean, it wasn't that long ago people were shot for treason, and we have treasonous activity, but it's but we can't even have serious discussions about what that means. But when you take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution uh, and against enemies foreign and domestic and the best you can come up with at a historically black, black you know college is saying that white supremacy is the number one threat to the country <sighs> you've got a president that's out of touch completely out of touch with reality completely out of touch with the day and day day and day out so Linda to Linda's point she's she's a product of someone that gave up everything to come here because it mattered the rules mattered. And now we've just thrown the rule book away and said it doesn't matter. And and, and I, I was reading this. And so Mallorca's out there, and I think Mallorca's ought, ought to resign. He, he's a national embarrassment. But when you look at their, they're proud that border crossings are down. So what's happened is there's been a massive title. The title 42's gone away. So a lot of people are like, hey, what does that mean? But we're being warned that, hey, wait, the surge is coming. I don't. I'm, I'm anticipating they're just going to learn the new rules, whatever the new rules are, and they're going to continue to come because there's no, there's no process in place to stop the, the absurdity of this. There's, there's nothing. The Democrats, uh, there was a time when they cared about this stuff. They do not care anymore. They do not care at all. And that's the staggering, the truly staggering aspect of this is that you would think because they come to you. When you look at the number, uh, it was like 83,000 in the last week before title 42 went away. If you think about North Carolina, there's probably six, maybe eight cities that have a greater population than that. And every other city is less than that. And if you add up the millions that have come across, think about how many people you would just put into North Carolina, tens of thousands of folks in North Carolina, that, that are undocumented, uh, they're giving these. They're giving people court dates. They're saying, "Well, your court date may be three or four years down the path. They're never going to show up at that court date. You're never going to find them again. And you don't. You don't have operational control of a border. You don't. Theoretically, you don't have a country without a border. You don't really have a country. And, and that. And I know you're just saying, "Oh, Chad, you're being you're being way over the top here. No, not being over the top. Let's have that discussion. Many more discussions to be had." Our governor, by the way, he's been moot. He has said nothing about this. He's on Team Biden-Harris. He put that in a commercial. He's out stumping on the abortion issue, but he's he's not saying anything about immigration. Why? He wants a position in that cabinet. I don't want anyone to get chagrined. I I I can tell you stories. Um, I've gone through the the unique experience of building a house over the past two years, and it, it is everything that is that is wrong. With the country and everything that is right with the country, all in one fell swoop. I mean, clearly, if you know, the fact that I can speak Spanish has been very helpful through that process. And the lack of values in some people—that uh, that it astounds me—the degree to which people don't finish jobs, don't show up, the work ethic of many groups, because they, because in a time when there's so much work available, that's changing. Things are getting tighter now. They know there's another job around the corner. So they're not finishing things. They and they'll they'll take, you know, an extra two weeks or month to do something and then demand payment the minute they finish. So th- you see that. And then there's other people that want the work to be done right. They want it to be done correctly. And we were in an instance where the builder literally walked away from the job and didn't tell, told the subs, but didn't tell us. Walked away, pulled the meter off. So I had to list it in my name. And finish building the product. Luckily, I'd done that before, not the same instance, but I had started one from scratch. But it was astounding that someone would do things like that. And 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 you see, they just don't care. And so the question would be: Are we? You know, you can say better off than we were when Biden got elected. But the point is: Are you? Are we better off at, than we were fifty years ago? And it, it, people love to write these good old days. And as all of you get older, you know you look back with some degree of, of uh, poly—not a Pollyannish, but it's a little bit like that, where you look back on things and think they were somehow better in your childhood or your teenage years or your young adult years. You think, and the country's gone to hell in a handbasket. And these youngins, they don't know. No, it's really not like that. I'm amazed at young—there's so, so many young people that have a great work ethic. There's so many young people that, are, that have great values that are in our country. We love to generalize because generalizing negativity creates massive ratings. Someone called the show earlier, thinking I was—they uh, almost alluded to the fact that that I had picked a subject matter because our audience was white and male. And I, I appreciate the folks on Twitter saying, "No, I'm not." But the point is, when you overgeneralize, it's easy to turn people against everybody. It's easy to turn somebody if if we generalize. You know, have you stopped the old "Have you stopped beating your wife?" question? Yes or no, you know, either way you answer it, you're damned. And so when I look back, there's a lot about years ago that I liked that that I think were amazing. Now, I'm thankful for the technology these days. I'm thankful for access to information. I'm thankful for so, for, for, uh, so many different aspects of quality of life that are wonderful. But it seems like the more we have in quality of life, the less time we have because we spend so much time being in a hurry and meanwhile our news news cycle is throwing things at us 24/7 trying to gin you up the nature of clicks we've gone from being journalists to being opinionists and everything's about now talk radio is about that we, what we try to do is take these policies you'll see Pete do it Brett will other people do it and have great conversations about it we we differ in the way we view the world and that's great but you try to take the policy and say how does this what what happens when this is put in place you say, okay, I want to, we're gonna tax rich people. We're gonna get the rich, so we're gonna tax boats and cars that cost over eighty thousand dollars. We're gonna put a a luxury tax on those. Well, that's a policy, probably enacted by someone on the left. And then the implications of that policy are that people will stop buying those vehicles. And so the, the, the practical implications of that are that people will stop buying those vehicles and those boats because why would they want to pay a silly surcharge on it? So the net result of that is the people who make those cars and those boats won't have jobs. So the liberal policy of taxing the wealthy results in people who make those products not having jobs. That's where policy matters. It's where... That's where the understanding of it, the implications of policy, you tease it apart. And by the way, that luxury tax is based on a real-life story. It was back in 1989, 91, somewhere there. And it had a serious impact on a, a company in North Carolina called Carver Boats. It put most of those people out of business. Those, those people lost their jobs, trade jobs. Not just with that, but lots of boat companies, car companies. So... It's real life so the, obviously once it failed like that and it was destroying people's lives, they undid that policy, but the damage had already been done. And that's why you know you, you look at these policies and say what what is it you're trying to achieve? And with welfare and Medicaid, it wasn't to create four generations of dependency, was it? It was to, to help lift to, to provide a safety net. but we went from providing a safety net to providing a wheelchair and crutches and making people dependent. And now you have three, four generations of Americans that are dependent on the this social welfare state. And if you discuss it, if you discuss about having some kind of saliency and weaning people off of this, you would have thought you were discussing the end of the world. Social security was never intended to be the retirement plan for America. It wasn't. Go back and read it. It wasn't. But now we can't have legitimate discussions about changing it without five million commercials saying somebody wants to cut your social security benefits. Not that they want to make the program better or give it longevity or do what it was intended to do, which was be a supplement. No, no, no. They want to destroy your life. Medicaid, Medicare, if anyone wants to change it, they want to destroy your life. If anyone wants to... So then we have a discussion about the debt ceiling and how it could impact you. Well, you can't talk about the debt ceiling without talking about where the money's going. And so we have an entire culture around D.C. that can't talk about issues seriously. We can't talk about the implications of policy in any kind of serious manner because somebody will get thrown under the bus and nobody wants to get thrown under the bus. Why they like to be in D.C.? And who's really running the country are the bureaucrats that have been there for 30 years. Not the people who get elected. Do you think Ted Budd and Tom Tillis are running things? They're not running things. They get to go to powerful committee meetings. But when's the last time that that you've seen serious challenges to the way in which the government operates. We're not. I mean, the, I got the most disruptive person we've seen was Donald Trump. Completely disruptive to the D.C. class, which has probably had as much to do with his
0: demise as anyone. <sighs> much more to go. consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Winston, you I'll probably come back to this, but uh, Winston, you've been on hold. Welcome to the show.
1: How are you today?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Hey, I'm I'm on the front line out here. Uh, I'm fighting for all those things that we cherish in this country, constitutional principles, libertarianism, self-sufficiency, uh, uh, not depending on the government for anything. That's anything. But anyway, I was at the grocery store. The cart in front of me, I, there was an individual, probably about 24 years old, looked pretty healthy, looked like he, he could uh, use a shovel. He could probably work a rake, work, you know, lay some bricks. Uh, His shopping cart was full of uh, sodas, Mountain Dew, uh, Sun Drops. And then he reached into his wallet. Okay, the guy's going to pull a credit card out. Oh, he pulled a credit card out and had that big old American flag on it. And and then my my veins in my neck started to just pulsate. What the hell is our government Paying the bill for this these sugar drinks to this young man. When he could be out so, there, So
1: wait, working. Winston, I'm trying to I I'm I'm trying to track with you, okay? And I want our listeners to be able to. When you say he pulled out an American flag credit card, you're saying that wasn't just a decorative credit card, that was like an E B T or a government issued card oh, of that, some type.
2: That, oh that is oh, I didn't clarify that. I thought everybody knew that American flag credit card was the food stamp card. No, it I've got like, one with a the Caribbean
1: Island they, on it, so
2: they they try to shield it when they're going into the into the barcode reader so they don't want to be exposed. But you know I I caught them. Uh, but that's that's the point. Now, you know the the uh, budget deal that they're working on it's all charade. They're not doing anything. They're not doing nothing. Sports fans let's get back to the food stamp card. The food stamp program initially started out it paid for essential items. But you know what? <clears throat> the food stamp program actually destroyed backyard gardens in the inner city, the black communities, the rural communities. Why, why plant a garden when I can just get the government to pick up the tab? So this is where we are. So we got it and put it in reverse gear. How are we going to put it in reverse gear? Is anybody going to? You, you got it. Who, who, who can we turn to? Trump's not going to do it. Trump was in there. He tacked on how many trillion? He gave a lot of goodies to the big corporations. Just like the Democrats, you know, the chips bill that they passed, the computer chip bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. This is all this is all payoffs. And it's not going to stop. And Joe Biden is not a capitalist. If I hear that POS say it one more time, he never made anything with his hands. He never filled any orders. He never, he never did a capitalistic transaction. Oh, You know what he did do? He took, you know, dirty money from the Chinese. That's what he did. So, you know, well, maybe, maybe they could pin him down, but I just don't know. I mean, I, you can tell. Let me hit this wine glass again. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all I, that's in that glass there, Winston? But anyway. I'm, I'm in my office right now. I'm doing some day trading. And uh, I bought some natural gas, some gold, gold ETS. But, uh, you know, I, I, this morning I was shouting at my Federal Express salesperson. I, I have a boutique furniture business. I ship uh, furniture items around the country. And uh, they raised my surcharges for oversized. And, you know, get, they have spiked 40% from last year. That's
1: 40 no doubt. I mean, I, you, you see it in restaurants. You see it. Uh, you know, if you travel with spirit, putting your airline back, if you, your carry-on is cheaper than putting it. It's the weirdest thing that, in, under the plane. So, th- yeah, we're, we're getting a pinnacle dime to death. It's the magic of saying things are cheap when they're not.
2: I told the agent, I said, listen, if this goes up anymore, I'm just going to shut it down. And I think that that's where we're going to have to hit the economy because these corporations are flat out gouging people.
1: So wait, you're you're a capitalist, and and you you can't stand it when people say Joe Biden is because I agree with you, he's not. But now you're you're also anti corporation as well, or just no, that the no. corporations are too big.
2: Uh, the corporate, they get, they, they get, they have the duopoly in the shipping. You have UPS and FedEx. And really, okay. it's a capitalist, gotcha. the, the only ray of sunshine that I can hope for is competition. Right. A startup okay. Company that can go ahead and ship something cheaper where FedEx loses some uh, 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 market share in shipping. And, and the only way that the, the C suite uh, eventually uh, uh, equivocates to the pressure of the market. They have to have competition. How you have competition, you have to have a competitor. Get the workers. You can't find the workers because you know everybody's that, looking for workers. Well,
1: they don't want to work. They don't. They don't want to. They they've been taught that they deserve the the forty, fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollar a year job, or that minimum wage should be sixteen dollars an hour or whatever. And so they don't want to work. You see these signing bonuses at fast food, you know to one, two, three, four, five thousand dollars. I was looking at at a, a, a car wash that, that the chain that was offering 60, eighty thousand dollar management positions. I, I don't know how this finishes, but as long as there's an incentive not to work, people will not work. Wouldn't you agree?
2: The, people will work when the the dollar value that they're paid that uh, economical the, the the dollar the US dollar the purchasing power needs to be more valuable and as long as you have the federal reserve in there printing and this 2% inflation target they are going to give us 2% inflation target you know in 36 years you're going to lose lose the value of your money the rule the rule of 72 You know, seventy-two divided by two percent take thirty-six. years. You're getting
1: into way high-level math. But, Winston, Winston, I appreciate your call. I appreciate your work, and I appreciate you sharing your perspective with the audience. Okay. Thank you. I got to go. Top of the hour break. We'll be right back. Hour number three. Get ready to be underway. Chad Adams, your guest host. We'll be right back.